Okay, uh, welcome back to the Catch Up, the food news podcast where three dudes with chest hair sit around and touch each other. Nick does have awesome chest hair, I can say that. Oh, God. I've got to keep it clean, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, run the intro music, Bray. All right, the state of grocery is in a pretty sick place, Jeff. Sick? In what way? Not not a good way. Like, okay, like sickly. Th- let me tell you about grocery store innovation in the past 100 years. Not like sick. No, no, not like the dopest, <laughs> oh, sickest okay, of sick. Okay. In 1916, a place called Piggly Wiggly opened, and it was the first self-service grocery store. Before that, a customer would just go to a grocer, walk up to a counter, and ask for the food item they needed, and then, or they would present a grocery list. Then in 1937, someone created a shopping cart to make that shopping experience a little bit easier. In 92, people started delivering, uh, uh, self-checkout happened in 92. And then in 2018, Amazon does something called Amazon Go, and you don't have a checkout person, you can just walk out with your groceries. So in 100 years, that's the only innovation that has happened in grocery To the stuff. consumer shopping experience. Yes. We've got four bullet points. So because we only have four bullet points, we brought in our, I brought in our friend Nick Quintero. Uh, he leads, he's a director of social media at Melissa's Produce, which is a great company. I've learned a lot about fruit and produce from Nick specifically. He's been there since 2012. Um, Nick's a, a friend of us, friend of Food Beast. Um, he's led growth and development of of Melissa's kind of consumer facing digital stuff and leads their digital marketing. It, it, it keeps them spry, keeps them young. I feel like if if I had to see it from the outside. Um, but before I even bring Nick on, let me just say everything we say on this podcast, everything that Nick says, everything that Jeff and me, Eli, A. Root, twenty nine years old, wherever I stay. <laughs> Does not represent Melissa's produce, but we're lucky to have Nick here so he can give his kind of raw insight into this grocery business that we don't really know much about. Nick Q, welcome to the program, Nick Q. my friend. Raw dog, raw. Nick Q, <laughs> raw dog. Oh, let's man. Go. Let's talk grocery. Let's talk. <laughs> or let's talk, let's, let's talk about the lack of innovation within grocery, right? And like, because... I mean, not to not to just hit your industry, Nick, immediately as you enter into this podcast, but from the consumer perspective, and which I think Eli and I consider ourselves a consumer versus we kind of consider you a bit more industry, um, the, the biggest question that I have is why, right? Because in, in the 24-hour news cycle and the day of tech innovation and the day of testing and autonomous driving, right? Those are the things and headlines that we read all the time, every single day. Um, at the same time, you have grocery stores that have existed seemingly from the 40s and 50s that still operate in some fashion today that do roughly the same thing. N- Nick, am I, am I wrong in that hypothesis in, uh, or in that context of no, some, I, some parts of the in- grocery industry? No, I, I actually really do agree. And kind of the reason that I have the job that I have is because we're trying to bring fresh ideas. We're trying to bring new innovation. We're trying to bring consumers together with shopping experiences. And we have to help grocery move in that direction too. Right now, for the most part, there's a lot of people that aren't on social media. They barely have phones. It's still flip phones and Blackberries. So we're, truly, we're really trying to get people into the newer digital age um, just because it's slow. Companies move slow. And I'm wondering, is it, be, is it slow? And this goes to everybody. But is it slow because 
there's such a dependence, obviously, on sustenance, on food, that there doesn't need to be innovation because at the end of the day, people have to buy food and the stores that supply that. That's the closest to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm naive, Nick. Like, do, does it matter to Melissa's how Amazon innovates versus how Whole Foods or the market down the street? Like, what do you guys care? You have great produce and you deliver to, and these stores know to get their produce from you. Like, does it matter? What does it matter to you guys? We want to lead people. We don't want to just stay complacent. If you're just going to stay complacent, then you die. It's always, you know, you're either moving forward or else you're going backwards. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we can just stay in the same place and not innovate. Um, and so that's, you know, what we kind of bring to the table is uh, we're there, we're helping customers move forward in this digital space, connecting with consumers and then uh, getting the store behind them. So where the consumer supports, the store is going to support. And if the consumer is not pushing a store in one direction, then what are they, why would they change? Because here's the food beast context in grocery. We've uh, only in 2018 did we start working with a grocery store from an ad and partner perspective. I don't know anyone in our company that's interacted with a PR social media manager of a grocery store specifically. (laughs) Um, They don't exist. Plus like, so co-founder Rudy and I used to build websites for a living and we would actively go to the Stater Brothers website just to see if it was still the same website. We'd have this annual tradition at the end of every year where we just would be like, hey, let's see if Stater Brothers updated its website. For like eight years in a row, they never did. And so it was some web page that I'm assuming from like the late 90s that like still exists in some fashion today. And and in my head, no other contemporary business that has revenues of these companies could actually think about not having a digital presence. They just upload coupons to the web. Like they literally scan. I've been to Albus's website the past 10 years. They just upload the newspaper clippings of whatever the fuck. How, how, in what world does that make sense? Is it because, is grocery unshakable? That's, that's, I think that's almost like the thing. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of that changing right now because consumers want the story. They want to feel like they're being heard. They want to have a presence. They want to support brands that support causes they believe in. So you see uh, grocery stores now that are being more active in sharing some of those things. You also see some that are taking the other side and still uploading PDF documents <laughs> to Facebook, you know, with an ad that's, <laughs> that's, gonna, that's over, you know, in two days that people won't see until next week. It's, you know, they're, they're not quite grasping it. Um, again, that's kind of why I have a job. So that's something that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, I'm appreciative of. I mean, I remember growing up, grocery was like, genuinely, it was kind of sexy. So, like, my uncle, he's my godfather, um, made a lot of money owning, like, two really big independent grocery stores. And then as I got older and he got older, I started hearing the murmurings of, like, man, Sprouts is really going to put us out of business. And then it's a family business. This grocery has been in their family for years. And they felt like there was nothing they could do. So they ended up Long story short, they sold their grocery stores. Um, and just seeing that end, I was like, damn, that was a really good staple of a community. And it got put out of business, particularly because they just didn't innovate. They didn't do, they, they tried things, right? But they didn't try fast enough. They, they opened a little food court where they fried chicken and they had a uh, good barbecue going on in the back, but it wasn't enough. You know, they didn't know how to run a restaurant. They knew how to stock grocery properly. And when they had foot traffic in the door, they knew how to 
mind you and and kind of direct you in different pathways in the store to get you to buy more product and then on to the next. But how are, are you seeing that story a lot, Nick? Like, or do you see? Because you guys work with all size, like you all size, right? Like, yep. from anywhere. What's the biggest account that Melissa's has? Then versus like, there's, I mean, there's chains with three, four, five hundred stores down to. We work with one and two store mom and pops, little community run independent shops, which so are awesome. Cool. Yeah, you know, and they're there. They're a staple in the community. They're supporting the community members, participating in events. Um, our goal is to just bring the best quality produce and as much value to the customer as possible. Yeah. Because I'm wondering, like, the what's the reason why your your uncle's grocery store closed, right? And in my head, and, and Nick, confirm this for me, because this is just my theory that I have no real experience in outside of being um, one of the best courtesy clerks Stater Brothers has ever seen <laughs> circa 2005 to 2007. Bag boy! <laughs> Don't look me up. <laughs> uh, basically, courtesy clerk Hall of Fame. Uh, but from what I understand about grocery, right, we're talking about penny margins, right? So we're talking about we're stocking a store full of thousands and thousands of items so that someone has or someone has the catalyst to come into our store for a thousand 10,000 different reasons and we're gonna make a slight margin on every one of those products and that's kind of how the business runs it has that penny margin business become harder because um, one of I'm assuming the changing consumer preferences but on top of that because uh, I don't know Bigger stores have better scale, right? So when you're now competing against the, the Walmart and the Costco and you're a mom and pop, in addition to the Sprouts and the Kroger and the whoever, um, I'm assuming it's a just it's a tougher business in general now than it ever was. But that's that's obviously a it, yeah, it really me. is. And and Eli, to your point, the failure to innovate is where I see some of the mom and pops stores struggle um, because there's really really successful one and two shop one and two store one and two location grocery stores that are just killing it. They know their customer, they know their market, they're located properly, they're stocking what their customers want, and they have the the velocity to move product, which makes the penny margins add up over time. Um, the customers that aren't innovating, or not the customers, my customers, right? Uh, the stores that aren't innovating, they just kind of rest on their laurels. They're not changing things up. They're not talking to consumers to see what they actually want. So what happens is they have this stuff, they put it out there with the price, and they just expect people to see it somehow. And that's so crazy to me because in every other industry outside of food, right, you're just seeing, well, Amazon or e-commerce giants, right? taking market share from retail stores. You're seeing empty shopping centers. You're seeing malls that are trying to increase tenants through restaurants because they can't support like enough retail. And grocery stores have this chance to innovate, but because they don't necessarily need to because the, the pace has been slower for consumers to change their behavior, it's like, I guess we don't. I guess we're gonna still do the same thing that we always do. Well, like is, no one knocked on their door until I feel recently, like we're oh shit, Amazon could actually get into our space too. And so it wasn't until Amazon bought Whole Foods that I actually saw major grocery CEOs actually putting out press releases when all of their stock prices dip. Sure. I'm like, mm -hmm. it took Amazon to knock on your door, like fuck after they got rid of jc pennies and macy's everywhere now you're gonna start thinking like they couldn't have gotten into that space right. so that's scary here's the thing I, amazon kind of pisses me off because i don't like 
go into there faster. Go. Amazon is not, I don't know how to shop. And that's like a catalyst of why I even wanted to have this podcast is I can't grocery shop as a 29 year old <laughs> millennial. I don't know how to grocery shop. I have no idea. Jeff and I have been talking about this for a while where like our grandparents cooked the same thing five days a week, right? Monday is is uh, meatloaf day. Tuesday is salad and chicken day. Wednesday is mom's fa- grandma's famous spaghetti, right? It's, it's scheduled like that. And I don't know why. Maybe the times were simpler. Things were easier. You, had, you were less inundated with here's the new shit you need to try, all this stuff, right? Then the next generation is our moms, our mom and dad, just just a little bit older than the millennial crowd. And they maybe have 20 or so recipes. Now, I'm extrapolating Jeff and I's families, but they may have, our mom and dad's have made 20 or so recipes they cycled through on the month. But they knew how to shop for 20 or so recipes. If you do, um, my dad does omelets every Sunday morning. When I can visit, I go to his house and I have omelets in the morning. But he knows how to shop for omelets. He gets a sack of potatoes at the beginning of the month, eggs at the beginning of every week, whatever's left over, you throw it in that omelet, right? You know how to shop. And now you have our generation, the millennial generation. I thought I was an idiot that I didn't know how to shop, but I don't like to cook, Jeff doesn't like to cook the same thing twice almost. like. Why would I cook the same spaghetti if I could try it with a different noodle? Well, well, do you think that you're getting frozen by opportunity? Because here, here, here's the thing that I, I think is happening, and this is what I think is happening to you specifically, Eli, would be, so grocery stores are now, I think, stocking more products than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily, I mean, from... Is that uh, true, Nick? I don't know. I don't, it is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're stocking more. Because I'm assuming they're just, mm-hmm. it fluctuates and it depends on like the, the square footage of your store. But in general, I think there's more products available to you now than there was 15 years ago. And then on 100%. top of that, you also have every recipe on the entire planet Earth, like in your pocket, Yeah. right? And so even when you want something new, it's not the fact that you can't, f- that there isn't something new, it's the fact that how are you going to find that something new, and then are you actually gonna go through that process? Do you have go-to either publishers or recipe sites or whatever to even start you on that process? And But you need to eat. So you haven't thought about anything related to what you're going to eat because it's, it's a, a arduous process to even to think about what you're going to cook because your expectations are also so high. So, well, I had Chinese last night and I had a burger the night before, so it's I'm not gonna make me. a burger and I'm not gonna make noodles because like, well, you, you know, only live I'm once, off, dog. Because I'm off, I'm off that shit and I eat different things every day. And I think that's the mentality that freezes us, right? Because it's it's, we have so many options and then, but because like you mentioned it already, I don't like to cook the same thing twice, which is from a personal experience, very different. Like my grandma, when she made food for my dad, Monday legitimately was meatloaf and Tuesday was legitimately baked chicken and Wednesday was legitimately a casserole. And when it hit Sunday, 
it would reset. My dad, to this day, still doesn't eat meatloaf because he had meatloaf <laughs> on Mondays for like over a decade of his life. And this is, we're talking about a time, I went home one time, so I'm, I'm making dope meatloaf. I'm gonna change my dad's mind. I'm gonna do all these crazy spices. Like I'm gonna make something that's like a contemporary meatloaf that wasn't just beef, it was like lamb, it was like sausage, it was awesome, right? I ground it myself, like You're I did. Proud. Yeah, I'm like, you. yo, I'm like, and I was like, dad, like I know you had this thing, this I want you to work. try this. He looked work. at it and was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and and like and then the next generation, so my dad married my beautiful mom, who was a contemporary cook. She didn't have she didn't have a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday set. She had like 20 go-to dishes, right? I'm talking like ribs one day and then lasagna the next day and then shabu shabu because she's japanese like nice. growing up we were privileged because she we still had tons of japanese food but we also had tons of american food because she expanded like what she could cook right but there were still like 20 go-to dishes which i still go home and i'm like yes mom's lasagna like awesome but for me i, I don't have 20 dishes i don't make the same thing twice because I'm like, one, if I have the time to cook, I'm like, what can I do? And then by the time I get to the store, I'm like, well, I did that. Especially if I'm cooking with my, for my roommate or with my girlfriend or entertaining people. Like, there's no way I touch the same recipe unless it's, unless it's a Hall of Fame dish. Like, unless every time I make it, people are like, that's awesome. All right, Nick, outside of being working in grocery, you have a family. So what, walk us yes, through, sir. walk us through what happens when... A, a person like you shops because Jeff and I have this like single bachelor live with a <laughs> friend or brother and kind of life and you have a family to take care of I got four kids man I can't I can't be I can't be switching up recipes all the time <laughs> which, which is crazy. the new record for this podcast by the way. Four, four kids, kids. is definitely your your number one <laughs> nice nice I'll take it yeah I mean I'm a little bit different just because I'm so conscious about food and choices and where my resources are at from Pinterest to the web to uh, friends and other family members so I do meal prep um, it's something where I know by Friday what I'm gonna make on Saturday or Sunday and then I'll batch cook everything and I have it for the week. AKA the opposite of you, Eli. Yeah, it's the opposite. <laughs> like, like, look at all that planning. <laughs> by Friday, I know what I'm eating for the entire next right. week. Well, you can see it in the person too if you look at both me and Nick. Nick is tall and yoked and I am uh, s slender and fat at the same time. Skinny fat, skinny Nick, fat, hashtag. Nick has a beautiful wife and kids. <laughs> I live with my brother. <laughs> There's a big difference of what's going on so apparently meal prepping <laughs> makes you successful <laughs> no so, but it's fascinating like how do you shop how do you like yeah you split duties what do you do um you know we do split for you know my wife has a few go-to dishes that are pretty solid taco salad's my favorite dish just by default and you can throw it together in like 25 minutes so that's always like an easy go-to hey what's for dinner do we have stuff for taco salad <laughs> do it yeah right um but i do i try to plan my meals because i want to be conscious of my portions and what's taking what i'm taking in so i'll plan everything out by thursday friday just throughout the week as i'm going through my my work i'll kind of just bookmark stuff that i want to try mm. you know under 10 ingredients check right because i want it to be easy um, which also makes for a quicker cooking time most of the time because I can see the nutrition, nutrition trumps variety in, in your situation, yep. right? Because mm -hmm. for me, like doing my best Nick Quintero uh, impersonation, 
is I've tried to meal prep and I meal prep for a week and the, the dish is decently <laughs> the dish is decently healthy. And by the Wednesday of that week, I'm just like, I'm buying lunch. <laughs> like, yeah. I get through. Hey, I, I get. Too. I get. Balances for sure. But I. I mean, and again, that just could be my psychology. But I have like, I have trouble planning to that degree. One because I don't cook a lot. I mean, I would love to, but I basically cooking is a weekend day off activity for me for the most part. It's an experience and an indulgence. I feel because I when I want to cook. Oh, I get excited, right? Oh, I get I get a trip to the grocery store. Oh, I'm probably gonna be there for two hours because I don't know how to shop. Because I go based on like, yo, it's a dope stir fry I want to try. So cool, I'm gonna go shop on those ingredients, and then I'm like, oh shit, okay, should I buy more of these? Because like maybe I'll make two portions of this because I'm a really good shopper now, and I know how to <laughs> shop for more than just myself. And then before you know it, I, my cart is a hundred dollars at like Albertsons of all places, and I literally only have the ingredients to make stir fry. So I don't know how to shop. And I was like, is it my mom's fault? Did she not train me how to shop? Because she like blessed me with like really dope meals all week. And she didn't show me how they came together. Um, Or is it just because I don't want what my mom wanted and I don't, I've been inundated with great recipes in my feed and I've been, uh, I am bored with the same thing every day or the, or all that. And I didn't care to be healthy. I just cared to, for the experience. I don't know how to shop. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to not knowing how to shop right now. And now this is what's ha- This is the state of grocery. I feel because they have to account for both people like Nick with the family and people like Eli don't know how to shop. And so which is, you know, stocking a, a store like that must be damn near impossible. Well, this is where a lot of like the blue aprons come in and the, you know, freshlies and the plated and things like that because you don't have to shop, but you can still have this cooking experience. Mm. And grocery stores are becoming more wise to that. And so they're actually making meal plan, um, almost fully prepared meals that are in seafood or they're in produce where all you have to do is add a protein or all you have to do is throw it all in a sheet pan and throw it in the oven. Yeah. So they are making it more millennial Gen Z friendly um, just from that standpoint because they realize that people don't know how to shop or they're not getting the nutrients they want or they're looking for paleo or Whole30 mm. and things like that. Yo, we got food ADD. We like do me, have food ADD. Like me and you. Yeah. And probably a majority of our audience that likes to scroll through an Instagram feed. Mm. Like not not only do we have ADD as it relates to the co- connectivity in our lives and social media and the emails that kind of bling up in our phones, but I think it's without a doubt that we don't necessarily always recognize when we could cook something really good for ourselves, right? We could make a pretty simple meal of, of a beautiful spaghetti and meatballs, for example. But because we can't just let that be what it is, yeah. we have to, when we shop, go, well, I got to source this pasta from Italy, and then I got to make the sauce myself. And then by the time you do that, you're just, you made it, but you're so tired, and you spent $100 for essentially a meal and maybe a lunch the next you're day. You're like, shopping sucks. <laughs> and you're just like, man, I can only do that money. once a week. But I think that's the problem. We can't just, we're so... Uh, I don't know. It's like we're incomplete without... Well, so the, the tech... What Nick brought up in terms of like plated and blue apron is a tech to kind of respond to people like us. I don't think that tech is doing well right now. 
like Blue Apron is having a, a, an existential like what are we as a company like can Crisis, we exist beyond right. the few millennials like uh, Jeff and Eli who just don't know how to shop and but still want to cook and want an experience right you're getting bored of that Albertsons made almost like they bought plated yep. they bought plated as a company we're like cool uh, we can capture that market for a little bit but I don't think that models like plated and models like Blue Apron are sustainable for I don't even know in a couple years from now if they're sustainable Agreed. because they're fun experiences like you buy a wine and painting night like that's that's all plated and blue apron is to me because I got blue apron and I try it for a month and I'm done like if blue apron wants to sponsor this podcast I'll change my mind real quick but <laughs> give us but, a call but, but, but like I don't advertising at foodbeast.com but, but, but I, I only yeah advertising at foodbeast.com Eli at foodbeast.com for other uh, uh, shout, shout out to your boy. I love Blue Apron. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, uh, maybe I should just make up a name for the, uh, the, the existential. Yo, let me yeah. tell you about this company, Pink Apron, that I okay. hate. Okay. So, Pink Apron is whack because you. it's not sustainable to uh, – it's, it's, just, it's just not sustainable. Like, I, I, I got bored with that. I Now I'm pot committed to whatever it is every week that, like – uh, cool i've spent on three meals i need to go home and cook now like my mind changes my add takes over so much that i no longer want to cook by thursday but i have this thing ordered i gotta go home i gotta do it so and i'm not the only one because these businesses are struggling the pink apron uh they're did they ipo or no blue aprons ipo okay so that ipo did not go well that's what i was trying to remember like right it's not it's not doing well albertson's uh they bought plated what's another name we can use for plated uh, bold. Bold. <laughs> bold, right? I don't know how that's doing for Albertsons. Like, I haven't seen any of that get integrated into a store. I have an Albertsons across the street from my house that I'm forced to go to because it's walking distance. And I haven't seen anything bold in there. So, um, I mean, and that and that's just, this is just the tip of the iceberg of the amount of food tech that exists, to- mm-hmm. like, that's going toward grocery that plainly sucks. Like, plainly, we're, we're probably going to go into seven or eight different technologies that exist that are innovative in their own technology aspect, but, like, still haven't found it. Let me preface this whole conversation about tech we're about to have with... Uh, we're a bunch of whiny bitches right now. <laughs> let me just let me just put it out there because like technology is incredible and it's amazing and I think what it's done to us as people and our generation is that we expect everything to be dope as as Amazon Prime. Like Amazon Prime ruined it for people in every other industry for shipping. Like if a clothing company used to ship something in seven days, like their customers are angry because like, why aren't you doing the Prime Now thing? Like, why can't you deliver like Amazon? Amazon ruined it. They have an infrastructure to do that. And it's just now trickling into grocery. So when I go to try, uh, Jeff and I yesterday, we're going to uh, Rudy had a taco night. Taco so, night. Taco night. Love taco nights at Rudy's. We're like, this is a perfect opportunity. Neither Jeff or I shop for groceries online because it's. I still think it's very hard and very cumbersome to shop for groceries online. Like, it takes more brain power. That, I, honestly, I think it takes more brain power to order online, even, even if you can save time, which did not happen yesterday. So it took us 30 way. minutes <laughs> to decide between Amazon Fresh and Instacart. So uh, Instacart, if you guys aren't familiar, Instacart 
is a technology, it's an app and a website where uh, a shopper will go pick up the ingredients or items that you want from the stores that are available on their service. So they can go to a Ralph's or Stater Brothers and pick up what you want. Um, they ha- it's To use Instacart, it's something like $150 a year uh, as, a, as a fee. Um, plus, there's a $10 delivery charge unless you hit a $35 minimum of the cart. So the minimum is going to become very important in terms of how... At of, least of buying I- psychology. Consumer psychology... You're not going to want to pay the $10 for delivery. Right. So I feel like you're, if you use it, you're going to spend $35. Because if not, you're buying $15 worth of food and then you're getting a $10 delivery charge. Right. And so Amazon Fresh, uh, all intents and purposes, kind of the same. So it's a few less options. Amazon Fresh will buy from a Whole Foods or a Sprouts. Um, it's $15 a month, which equates to something around, I'm not a mathematician, but it's around... It's $180 a year. $180 a year, smartass. Uh, <laughs> it's written on the paper yeah, in front of both you and I. Jeff did all this work, I did the math already, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, you know, something like, I don't know, I don't do math. Well, 50 times 12 is something like above 100. But the pro- with, what happened with Amazon Fresh is I expected it to be free. I already paid for Amazon Prime, and... I feel entitled that Amazon Fresh should be included in Amazon Prime. Why am I already paying you on Prime? You are a the first company on its way to a trillion dollar valuation. Make the Amazon Fresh free as fuck. Make it free. Why am I thinking about signing up for another service? Just make my Prime more expensive. I know. I know they're lathering in people that maybe don't even want grocery as part of it. Just make it more expensive. Make it a dollar more expensive for Amazon Prime now. Don't ask me to pay for a second service and then destroy all the grocers that you're competing against. Why are you wasting this time? Bezos, come through the podcast, son. <laughs> Nick is here. Jeff is here. Eli's here. Let's talk about this, dog. Why are you limping into this? So you bought Whole Foods. So we went through <laughs> yeah. this process. Yeah, Bezos. You're limping into this. Come on, What'd you do? Oh, you bought Whole Foods? (laughs) Good move, dog. Too slow for our taste. Whole Foods is still the same. Not not to mention that a tech company just bought a fucking grocery store. But too slow. Too slow, Bezos. That's what what I'm hearing. So we went to try this, right? And all we wanted to do, we're like, all right, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Rudy's taco night is at 6. Jeff and I are like, you know what? Let's be uh, really generous and uh, buy guacamole for this party. <laughs> so we're well, like, and Rudy, had, Rudy had asked me because I asked him, like, what can I bring to this party? They had a, they had a, like a taco team that was there with the plancha doing their own thing, quesadillas and tacos. Nice. And I was like, what can we bring? So the obvious answer to taco night is bring salsa, bring guac bring beer right like as a friend going to a taco night that's what you're probably going to bring and so that's what we were looking for on e-commerce solutions we were looking for how do we bring these things and so instead of eli and i going to the down the street northgate market to pick up guacamole and adding a stop and adding 20 minutes we were like we're just gonna have it delivered straight to rudy's house rudy's going to be there we're give, we gave him his phone number so they could call him in case for delivery, which was also funny. 
Um, and and so that was the theory, right? We, we should have like, gone to Northgate, man. Like, we we should have just gone and got the guac that, ourselves. That was that was, <laughs> that was the theory. Well, okay, oh, it so took more so, than thirty minutes. That's so the it, it took more than thirty minutes. Here's but here's also it was also our first time looking at both Instacart and Amazon Fresh like side by side. So I we've used Amazon Fresh before. We use it for our shoots here when we need something like day before and we know we're gonna need it and we don't wanna send a line producer out to like go grab groceries. So we've used that before. I had never used Instacart. So we were trying to figure out like in a, in a Amazon fresh Instacart scenario, what would we use? We were on the Instacart site and I'm gonna say I was impressed by the UI. I was really impressed. Yeah, the site looks cool. Yeah, the site yeah, looks yeah. dope and because Amazon, and you mentioned this too, Eli, when we were down there, because Amazon is like, can literally sell you a million things and every page is a recommendation or a filter or a link to something else that you get like so overwhelmed, especially because the site isn't, I don't think, built for grocery and fresh. So it's like, you want, you want guacamole? Can I interest you in an avocado tree and <laughs> a shovel and soil? No, <laughs> no, I want guacamole. Just give me the fucking guac and do make it good. Do you need the seed? People do, you, buy. Do, do you need the manure? Interested in a house? The water Maybe a can. farm. <laughs> Are you building an avocado farm? That's why I can't. So grocery can't isn't working yet. Here. <laughs> And so, and so we're on this, so Instacart was the winner. We were like, all right, Instacart, and here's why it was the winner. The coolest thing about Instacart is the fact that put in your zip code and you're able to see like the stores nearby that deliver via Instacart. That was cool because you associate quality and you associate types of products by the stores you already know, yep. right? So they had Whole Foods on there, so we were like, Dope. They got the good guac. They got the good guac. Bummer was Whole Foods, for whatever reason, might be licensing of the store, couldn't sell us beer through Instacart. Mm. So then Instacart does this like process where you can actually buy through multiple stores, but it's that's it's pretty convoluted. So we were like, we don't want to buy from multiple stores, mainly because every store has a $35 minimum. Mm -hmm. Uh, unless you're gonna pay ten dollars for delivery, and because they're different stores, you'd be paying paying ten dollars for delivery each time. Mainly because now we know that there's a person, a human, going into this store, buying your items, and then delivering them to you, which is why there's a thirty-five dollar minimum, or it costs ten bucks to do it. So we select Whole Foods, right, on Instacart. Can't can't find beer. Shit. Okay. Well, where else can we go? Then we hit Smart and Final. So Smart and Final, at least for Southern California, uh, their uh, extra stores, I think, are like they're definitely they made a step up from being like a warehouse store into being like more fresh grocery. Right. They have a listing for fresh guacamole. We want the fresh. We don't want any other prepackaged. We're like, yo, if we're if we're bringing guac, we can't bring it in this in the lunchable pack. Like, like it needs it's to it's embarrassing to, to, for a taco party to bring Sabra like guac. True. Like it's just like the CPG doesn't have any onion or tomato, like visible onion or tomato in it. It's like whipped to a point where it almost looks like 
uh, matcha frosting, yeah. right? It's like <laughs> it's, it's like a sim- it's like a similar it's consistency, terrible. and it's terrible. Like you can taste the preservatives in the guac, right? Side note, Sabra, we love you. Yeah, maybe but, in, uh, <laughs> thirty-six. But, advertising at But but in this scenario, a party like they're they have a taco cart. We can't. I I, I can eat Sabra hummus at, or Sabra guacamole at home and be fine. I, I'm not going to judge myself for doing that. But I can't. I can't <laughs> like bring it home. <laughs> watching Blackbeard eating Sabra. <laughs> But, but you can't do that when you're supposed to like at least the psychology that I run with is when you're when you're showing up to a party show up with something in hand the good guac and so we least. were replacing that Eli and I actually showed up empty-handed but we're trying to replace that with Instacart delivery and then what happened Eli okay so <laughs> so we order our cart order on Instacart from uh was it smart and final was fresh guac so whatever they make in store fresh guac two pounds to meet our uh we're gonna hit the minimum because we felt weird now paying ten dollar delivery so we hit two pounds of fresh guac two different bags of tortilla chips because why not and uh i believe a 18 18 pack of of coronas um so everything looks good and dandy. We buy it. Uh, it starts. It's we. The delivery window is four to five. We know Rudy's going to be home, and Rudy's number is on there in case there's anything wrong with you. And order. we like check out for like forty bucks or under. Yeah. So now, good. yeah, we feel good. good because it's you know twenty bucks a person. We still contributed, and we should be giving them an asset of fresh guac, eighteen Coronas, and some extra chips, like just in case. So we get there at six. And uh, I'm like, hey, Rudy, delivery come? He's like, yeah, man, thank you. Rudy's just being nice. (laughs) You know what showed up? The Sabra fucking guac. A 12-pack of Corona. And I I don't know. I think the two bags of chips made it. Yeah. So what happened was in the the part of between the time that Jeff and I clicked checkout on the order and by the time it got delivered, she had called Rudy like four times. It was like, hey, they don't have fresh guac here. Uh, are you okay with the Sabra hummus and or Sabra guac? And Rudy goes, yeah, sure, whatever. It's not on my card. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then the, and she's like, okay, uh, they don't have 18-pack Corona. They have 12. Do you want me to buy 12 and like some singles or what? Rudy's like, just get 12-pack, right? So nothing that we ordered other than the chips made it there the way we thought it would. Yeah, so you're talking about Instacart downgraded fresh guac to CPG guac, which is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the probably most egregious part is the fact that you downgraded me six beers. That's t- that's a t- that's tough. That's like tough to like understand as a consumer because. So where I was making fun of Amazon before, and I thought Instacart was gonna win, is kind of support all the different grocers. That's what Amazon has in mind by buying a Whole Foods where you know the entire chain front to back. You know the guac is going to be in stock. You know it's gonna be dope. Right, you know they they have a partnership with Sprouts, but let's focus on Whole Foods eventually buying Sprouts out or Sprouts dying. <laughs> uh, okay. So what happens is, I know now I'm paying a luxury tax to Amazon because I know that now their two hour delivery, I'm going to get the best guac. Like hands down, they're sourcing it whatever I think from local avocados, whatever, and it's going to be good guac. And everything that you show available on amazon.com is actually going to be in the stores. Instacart doesn't work like that. 
They're working on images, stock images they found online. There's there's nothing that actually connects you to the store until the shopper shows up. So it was nice that the shopper, the Instacart shopper actually called Rudy and asked before she just grabbed something that he may not like. Also, you're now wasting 30 minutes of Rudy's time on the phone. There was 30 minutes of me and Jeff. We should have just gone to fucking Northgate <laughs> and got the fresh guac. So it's not there yet. It's not there yet. I think Amazon is actually closer now after this one data point of an experience that we had. Amazon is closer. Like they have through through the Whole Foods purchase, I think it gets them closer. I have no idea why they're not just making it free and le- like start using their scale to make this scary for even Instacart. I feel what? like it's coming. I you think like it's coming. coming. I think I think free will be or at least added into your Prime membership is going to be there. I feel like it is. Which if Amazon buying Whole Foods isn't a big enough wake up call to you Kroger, to you Safeway, to you anyone that's in the grocery business, like it's time to wake the fuck up. They woke up. They woke up. They woke up really late after the alarm in the morning. It was like <laughs> it's an hour. They snoozed it two or three times. They woke up. It's just it's a little too late and as soon as Amazon really presses on the gas, Here's the thing. I don't think all grocery stores are going to go by the wayside. Let's talk about the ones that Amazon can't get a grasp of. Like, I think there's like these regional, really cool grocery stores, really cool experiences that Amazon can't replicate just yet. Niche, ethnic supermarkets yeah, like, that, like, that represent ingredients and foods of various cultures. I mean, because we're, I mean, internally, we're big fans of Northgate and the new stores that they're producing. In addition to like, I myself personally am a big fan of Mitsuwa, which is a Japanese market in mm-hmm. Southern California or 99 Ranch or like the list goes on, right? Seafood City, which is kind of more H-Mart. Filipino, H Mart, yeah. where you can get delicious marinated meats and all sorts of like Korean sides. So, and the food courts are nice because it kind of inspires. That's why I love going into a Mitsuwa or a Northgate. You get to eat. At least, again, for me, I'm ADD, so I'm going in. I don't know what I wanted. Oh, I smell the hot bar. Or, oh, I smell your burrito stand. I eat it. I'm like, damn, this is good. I could probably make this this week. You guys sell carne asada here? Dope. I'm going to get that. I get fresh onions, fresh cilantro. You press your own tortillas here? I can see you pressing your own tortillas? Amazing. Let's go. So those experiences, like... I don't want to discredit Whole Foods. I think that's why they bought Whole Foods. Is It's not just a grocery store. It's experience. I like to go hang out at the fire pits that a lot of Whole Foods have. or Some of them have ping pong tables wine outside. Bars. Wine bars. Sushi bar. Like, I get that part because I think grocery needs to have that kind of experience. Um, so I'm curious what rises to the top because I don't think it's an Albertsons. I think it's like these regional players that – are specific to an ethnicity or like that can't be shaken just yet and even them they're innovating like it's not like northgate doesn't have really cool technology that they're using they're doing both at the same time talk about not resting like free delivery or we'll pick you up we'll drop you off yeah yeah yeah, they do great stuff so i don't know what, what tech do you like nick and what do you not like currently that like grocery stores are kind of throwing at the wall right now. They're all trying to act like startups that just like have to do something new or innovative and they have to fail at some stuff to learn what works and what doesn't. 
I'm really excited about the Amazon Whole Foods merger, to be honest with you. Like you said, they already add so much value to Prime that this, I think, is going to roll up in that. They're subscribing more people to Prime. They're getting more purchase data. They're going to know what you like, what you don't like, what dietary habits you have. They're, like Every touch point with Amazon and now through Whole Foods is going to be a data point that's making them smarter. So pretty soon, you're not going to have to go to the grocery store. They're going to know that you like carne asada on Saturdays. And Friday, you're going to get a call. Hey, do you want carne asada tomorrow? We got you. And you're going to be like, yes, no brainer. And then it's just charged to your prime card. Yeah. I'm stoked on that, dude. Yeah. I'm really stoked. And, and I think that's definitely like the utopian example, right? Because they're going to have, they're going to have, uh, well, they have the valuation and growth to be able to do this on most likely an international scale, let alone just like a, a U.S. North America scale. Um I think a lot of the other tech within the industry, though, is like still tons of question marks for me. Yeah. Like we reported on a story related to RoboMart, which is this autonomous driving refrigerated vehicle of produce, which the renderings look awesome. Like imagine like... A bigger, Tesla, a, like, yeah, a bigger Tesla, like yeah, a bigger Tesla that the Tesla food that truck. that yeah. has no driver that is stocked with produce and and it works you know, with grocery stores. So again, this is all from renderings and startup funding. Like they don't, they haven't actually created this. It's not out in the world yet, but they threw the idea out there. This thing called RoboMart, and instead of it being owned wholly owned by any one grocery store or brought to you by Amazon or anything like that, it actually has a model where they want to lease this RoboMart that imagine something that goes up and down your street 25 miles an hour. You can call it on your phone, on your app, and it comes and it kind of opens up like two Tesla doors and has the fresh produce for you to feel with your hand, right? Like, see like, oh yeah, this apple's not bruised. This is, this is nice. It allows you to do your shopping, but it came to you. Is like the first time that anyone's ever propositioned that kind of tech in grocery. So deliver. So, what my question is though, do people care that much about feeling the apple and making sure it's not bruised? Like a, a bruised apple shouldn't in this entitled environment, <laughs> right? Like there's nothing wrong with a bruised apple, and there's great services that send you food waste. That's just totally awesome, but. It's nutritionally the same. Nutritionally the same. <laughs> do, we, do, do enough people care to feel the celery off this RoboMart that, like, just send me the good celery? So, so I think the, the, the premise of your question forgets about a pretty large segment of people that are potentially low income in a food desert that don't have a car. Mm-hmm. Or in a metropolitan area that it's hard, it's hard for someone to carry six bags of groceries, right? So we're, we're in Orange County, we're driving to our grocery stores, we're putting it into our trunk and we're unloading it wherever we like park our car. The most honorable part of this RoboMart premise to me is the fact that the food deserts that for a fact exist in places across this country, if they were enabled in those parts of the country, could deliver fresh produce that would be Michelle Obama approved to a lot of a lot of these areas that don't necessarily have a store. 
but I have a problem with all the challenges that this this business format represents. First of all, it's related to autonomous driving, which yes, it's coming. Los Angeles is like meeting with tech companies to be the first like whatever city that accepts autonomous driving. And of course we're hearing from autonomous trucks to electric vehicles to from Uber and Waymo lawsuit. Like we hear about it constantly. Like I still have no idea when it's gonna happen I, as much as I know it's going to happen. So putting a technology that's toward autonomous driving, like great, so you have a prototype and you have startup funding, but you may not be like, it may not be applicable on roads until all, all of the legislation passes, all, all of the companies that have traction within this industry, like it could be 20 years from now, right? I mean. Is that a reason to knock it? Is I mean, because just because it's like the legislation is in place, like should we have knocked? So Uber, you're gonna, right? so you're like, going to exist as a company for 15 years and you can't even get on the road. Welcome to startup funding. Like that's, <laughs> welcome to Silicon Valley. I mean, I I don't not agree with you. I think the pro, you're, it's a great thing for food deserts, but I guarantee you this place is not starting their autonomous driving tests in the middle of the country. They're starting it in Silicon Valley where they already have access to these stores, and it's not a food desert. So, keep in mind yeah. that's only one part of your meal. Like just because you have the produce doesn't mean that you're going to have the protein to go with it sure. or the other components that go. I mean, I don't know all about Robomart, but if you're just delivering fresh produce, like that's only going to fill you up so much. I think they're curated. So it, it, it's not just produce. I think produce was an example that they used, but they're refrigerated. So they, I'm assuming it can have cuts of meat. It can have uh, maybe there's another level with um, your dairy products. Mm. Um, maybe some dry goods and hopefully over time, again, we're speaking a lot for this company. Maybe they don't have any of this plan. Maybe they have more of it planned. <laughs> just some drawings. Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking about the, the human problems that already happen with food delivery or, or ride sharing, for example, like in the case of taco night, we're going to talk about taco night one more time, right? Someone has to deliver food to an apartment within a gated community that doesn't that doesn't have access to it and doesn't have doesn't have public parking for anyone that's not a resident. So the person has to find parking, call another human. Rudy had to walk out to open the door to accept those groceries, right? So those are four or five different interaction points that a human has issues with that has to talk to another human to figure it out. Autonomous driving an autonomous vehicle delivering produce in that area would be impossible. So, and that's a sub suburban area, decently affluent area, right? And so, th th it's not just autonomous driving yeah, as what if a it works premise. Like an ice cream truck, right? So, like it, it lands, and someone like Rudy ordered it because he needs produce, right? He does the thing. He walks out of his gated community, goes out there which is still closer than going to a grocery store. It sits there, but now that it's there, maybe that RoboMart pings anyone else who has the app that happened to be in his community sure. like, hey, we're here right now. Come out, come out and get some produce. The same way that like rural villages in other countries, they have like in the morning, they have bread carts that come, right? Like it's not a, a feasible road, but when the bread cart comes, it works like an ice cream truck in our communities where they either ping a bell or whatever and they all come to this cart and they feel the bread, they talk to the guy who made, it's usually the baker that like just finished baking, rolls around on this like petty bicycle and, and does that. So I think like, again, we're doing a lot of product development for Robomart, so shout out again, advertising at <laughs> we'll work with you there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if that's like 
how they're planning on doing it. But there are good and bad experiences of bringing produce there. But again, it's so far out. And, and how much money are you going to make with penny margins on a it, truck yeah. full of, you know, there's there's so many hurdles to this. So their, their business, their business mind is they want to lease these vehicles to grocery stores. Like they're not, their footprint isn't, their footprint is literally just in the vehicle and the app technology. The grocery store gets to lease these things from them. They could brand it Ralph's, Albertsons, Kroger's, Walmart, whatever. And they, these these vehicles fuel up and hopefully they're electric and sustainable, but the produce is stocked by the market that's leasing them. What do you think they're going to stock it with? Number ones, number twos, stuff that's going bad. Maybe they need to get it off the shelf. It's a really good question. You still run into that margin right. of error, like where and then it shows up and the guy's like, ah, that one's bruised. I don't want that apple right now. Yeah. Scratch it off my order. And then it's going back and they have to rehandle the produce again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff because then markets have to figure out the way that like restaurants have to figure out Uber Eats and Uber Delivery. Like how do you handle those orders? Right. Can stuff go out like that? You essentially have to hire for someone who could stock this in the right way. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's a good or bad idea after this discussion, but it's, it's interesting. I think with e-commerce in general for me, uh, I – still get very much inspired by by walking into a grocery store and seeing what's available so for me personally as a consumer it's really hard for me to imagine that when i'm creating a meal at home that i'm really proud of that i'm just going to ship it all to my door without seeing anything because a lot of times i don't even make the decision until i see it and so that's a whole psychology that like literally has to be changed because i pick out my steak very methodically based off of like the fat lines that exist within that steak and and what we talked about earlier is i really enjoy going to the grocery store and 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 pu pushing a cart for two hours and figuring out as i'm in that store so i'm basically game planning throughout that store depending on what's there which again i don't know how how that's going to replace it which goes back to the fact that our generation of how experiential that we are um, is is something that I don't know how you you can amplify it and the places that we talk about when we when we go so when Eli and I travel and we experience like pretty cool markets we always talk about those markets and a lot of these markets tend to be really high tourism destinations so like I went to Toronto earlier in January which was the coldest it's been in Toronto in a hundred years so great week to choose but while I was there like I went to the St. Lawrence market which is 60 plus different meat purveyors seafood purveyors uh, hot food produce olive oil spices all in one place all independent of each other and it's just a magical place because you're not getting one curated store by a brand you're getting 50 curated experience based on the people that know their stuff so the people that do sausage know sausage and the people that really know spices know spices and it's become this tourist destination because you can literally walk around grab something to eat and also pick up whatever you need for for the night's dinner right and i think that's something that i think we'll continue to see a lot of in a similar way how food courts have expanded to 
food halls and there's a lot more independent concepts in one place that are still like at an affordable price point i you know we're seeing it with grocery now we already talked about whole foods and the wine bar and the pizza and the mendocino farms that they have in these whole foods to bring people in i think we're going to see an uptick in experiential across and any any supermarket that's going to be relevant in the next 10 years i think has to up that part of its game Yep, 100%. And to your point, we have one of those in um, Texas, not we, but in Texas, Central Market is a very similar thing where I don't think e-commerce could come in and disrupt that market because it's such a curated experience going through there. It's like the Ikea of grocery stores. Yeah. It's sick. I mean, Grand Central Market in LA is a similar experience, right? You get to eat. I'm eating at the vegan ramen spot and I can Mm -hmm. turn over and I can see like, oh shit, there's... The, the noodles that I'm eating right now like are available in right. dry goods and then the produce is there. What, Nick, does any of this like, in, like from your end, do you see like any of this extrapolated to stores? Like are they, are they dealing with people like us? We're like, damn, these guys are fickle shoppers yeah. or like, and what do you see them doing if anything? Like, or like, are, are the people that like Jeff, like where they might shop once a month and they go shop for a hundred bucks and they never shop again. Um, yeah. Do, they, do they care about the consumer? Do, like, what are they doing? So a couple of like real just key metrics from like a produce side is grocery stores want to see foot traffic in the store and they want to see cart size. So mm-hmm. how much are you purchasing every time you go in? And that's how they, you know, they really gauge the ad performance or the promotional performances. Are we getting new people in the store? When was the last time they purchased and how much are they spending per trip? Um, and I think that just, you know, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of changes in that space. Um, e-commerce is definitely pushing them in a different direction, but it's still very much the same as it has been. Paper ads relying on, you know, old legacy customers. They're not doing a whole lot to bring in younger people. The things that I do see would be like we talked about earlier, the prepackaged, you know, you have potatoes and carrots and a seasoning packet in this little bag. Just pick up this bag and then go to the deli and pick up some meat and then you got a meal. That's like the most innovative that I've seen from a millennial focus standpoint. Because I'm curious about what you guys feel, how much we're gonna have a fragmented grocery slash product uh, e-commerce arena. Because like for example, we work with a number of like alternative food CPG products that aren't distributed like nationwide because they're like an emerging product. So an example would be Smart Sweets, which we've mentioned on the podcast before, which is a gummy bear, for example, that now they're going to get Whole Foods distribution, but before then the only way you could actually buy them was buying it online, right? So niche product, there was novelty, people saw our video and a bunch of coverage from different places and they actually go to smartsweets.com and they place an order via e-commerce site. But how many times are you actually gonna do that a month where you're going to a specific products e-commerce site to buy those specific things? Like I think even though it happens now, like that has to be that has to be a dying art. As it's much a weird as, way to buy, like it's a weird yeah. way to buy. Like it's cool at first because there's literally no other way for you to get your product out. Like if you have, if you're starting a company from scratch, like you're making gummy bears because you're passionate about it, no one gives a shit. Like you you can't walk into a Whole Foods and talk to the buying manager, right, and do that. And that's just not how it works. It's a, it's a lot harder than that. So you have to do that at first and try to create a story online like Smart Suites did. But 
that's not a model long term. Like I'm not gonna keep buying my gummy bears from smartsweets.com regardless of how much I like it. And I'm a power consumer of that product. I, at the end of the day, I'll go to Whole Foods and get it because I'll get it while I buy my other things sure. that I'm putting in my body. Mm-hmm. So uh, e-com individually for these brands, like unless there's a model that I'm not aware of, like the way a company sells something is different, which I haven't heard of, uh, it's, that's, that's not sustainable. They have to shack up with a retailer that sells other food. It's not, I don't think it's a downgrade. It's just how that is. And stuff like why Amazon succeeds is because they give those little guys a platform. Like if I wanted to start a hot sauce company tomorrow, if I had a good sticker label and a phone I could take a product photo on, I can have my shit up on Amazon tomorrow. And if it does well, then Amazon can start helping you. They can- They'll put it in Whole Foods. They'll I'll put say. it in Whole There's Foods. There's traction here Boom. in these regions. Go to Whole Foods. Yeah. So the the uh, I heard a lot of discussion in our editorial room yesterday of like, man, like Amazon's like kind of slow or Whole Foods kind of slowing down, helping out the smaller guys. Like, let them figure this shit out right now. Trust me, they'll go right back to crowdsourcing people because that's how Amazon worked. That's like that by Amazon opening up their back door to letting small people put their their homegrown products on the site is how they competed against everyone else. It's why it's better to buy on Amazon than anywhere else. Trust me, they'll get back to that. And that's an even, I feel like I'm supporting this big giant, but at the end of the day, like it does help the little guys. It gave them a platform to sell product on. Oh, and I think you're just being honest about your experience and that we talked about before the podcast is if there was a place to get all the things that we wanted without separate logins additional card information like remembering which sites have what we we will do it and i think the only tipping point at some point there there's a problem there there could potentially be a problem with with competition and diversity if it's all through a kind of a single partner but for right now like Walmart's gonna battle Amazon and we're gonna see like where that goes. Um, and grocery stores are gonna have its own battle against Amazon to kind of see where that goes. And that's, I think, going to give us enough competition to, to feel good. Um, but in general, if we're ordering online, Eli and I want a single source, you know? that And that Instacart stuff, yes, it was specific to that situation. We might've been wowed if we ordered something different that wasn't I don't know, uh, a fresh produce product that is literally has a shelf life of an hour once it's like out of refrigeration. But it, it definitely was a deterrent to the point where we could have spent less time online and gotten what we wanted in 15 minutes by going down the street and, and we didn't. Yeah. I think they'll fix delivery before any other major delivery of grocery to people's houses before any major innovation in, in grocery. And to be honest, it's not an innovation in grocery. Like deli- like mm-hmm. people have been delivering groceries for over a decade. Like that isn't new. Like that isn't the innovation. It's a hundred years since grocery stores have been kind of incepted. And the only thing that changed essentially is the payment method. Like Amazon goes thing where you don't actually uh, talk to a cashier on the way. You just walk out with your stuff. All that change is the payment method. It's basically the transition from cash to cashier's check to a credit card to great. I don't talk to anyone because that my payment was in my pocket. You still have to have your phone. You walk out. Essentially, you scan something. 
it got scanned for you. So nothing really changed. Your buying didn't help. Like the, the strategy of how I shop in those stores didn't change. It's gonna happen in a browser and those are pretty good. They're changing. Like again, I made a joke earlier about I bought guacamole online and it asked if I wanted avocado tree. It also asked if I wanted chips. It also asked if I wanted spoons, right? Like to spoon it out. Always use your hands. Um, <laughs> so, but again, I don't know. I, I was hoping to have out of this discussion, like, oh shit, there was a shit ton of innovation. Well, I didn't get it. Well, and I'm wondering, Nick, is what are we missing, right? Because obviously, from a consumer perspective, we're still, or Eli and I are probably in agreement that we're not seeing a whole lot. From an innovation perspective on, well, the vendor side of things as well as the supply chain side of things, like what are you seeing that actually has improved that we just haven't noticed because we're too hoity-toity not even recognizing when there's been something great? Yeah, I think the technology space that's actually allowing for more data collection has changed the way that numbers are crunched and collected. Rewards, like the uh, rewards cards is one of the earlier ways to actually track consumer buying habits and serving ads based on that. And so as data collection, as POS systems get smarter and more um, data centric, then you are getting more large um, data sets that you can pull from and analyze the rise in data scientists and these programmers who are able to just, you know, extrapolate these crazy insights off of billions of um, pieces of information. That's gotten so much better in the last decade. Um, so that's like one piece that I see the more data that's coming out and is available to us, the smarter grocery stores and e-commerce can be. Um, and then two, I would say on the supply chain side, costs go up all the time. It's water, it's land, it's leasing, it's gas. labor, it's gas, it's taxes. There's so much going up on the um, supply chain on the growing side or the production side that there's all these other things that have to happen in order for pricing to even stay competitive. So you have big guys buying up smaller farms or leasing land or actually planting their own seed. Um, and then you have water meters and nutrition meters in the ground that's telling you what the soil is like and then you have drip irrigation that's feeding more you know nitrites or not nitrites some some other type of um, vitamin to the ground to stimulate the plant growth so the supply chain does have some innovation going on machines are getting smarter um, harvesting equipment's getting better but sometimes like with really perishable items you have to go in there by hand you're not picking you know, strawberries unless they're unripe with a machine. You're in there pulling them off the branch. What about like the Trader or Joe's or Aldi line. model? Because like if we're trying to find innovation, like Trader Joe's does a good job, I feel, of uh, they probably try some products out if, if, if they get their consumer insights on it and they white label it, right? Like so, oh, I, right. Eli has a hot sauce, he puts it in the store and it does well. We'll white, we'll white label the hot sauce. It becomes Trader Joe's hot sauce and they could bring the price down essentially. And I've been hearing that from a few gro different grocers where uh, like if, if it's a big Mexican grocery store and they're selling a lot of cactus, well, the only way to bring the cactus price down, can we buy the farm that we were buying that cactus from? Cool. We could subsidize the cost of the people working on that farm through our larger infrastructure and bring the price of cactus down for the people who are working on it. Right. And I think grocery stores are doing this quite a bit. And it's not something that we as a consumer going and shopping like really know. We just get mad or sad or happy based on the prices of certain <laughs> stuff, right? But grocery stores are, are thinking like that. Aldi, I think it's something like 
70, 80% of their products in the store are Aldi branded because probably through that process. We're like, is it time for us to have our own wine? Like we're selling a lot of wine and we know what people want. They're less brand type. They don't care what the brand is, but they like this flavor right. or this varietal. So let's just make our own. Like right. that's why Two Buck Chuck is so cheap. Like I, they don't own Charles Shaw, but. Um, right. Private label is good for a couple of reasons. It it helps the brand establish credibility with the product quality, but it also covers up a lot of the logistical um, hurdles, right? So you might be buying private label, I don't know, hot sauce from whichever grocery store, and it's all product of U.S., but then when U.S. product is out of season, now you're bringing it in from Mexico or Chile or Peru or somewhere else. So they're still going to see the label and trust it, but because the seasonality changes or because labor practices change, now they're sourcing it from different regions. And, and I'm glad you <clears throat> brought up Trader Joe's, Eli, because I think from a white label perspective, I mean, I, I don't know a brand that's done it longer and better than, than Trader Joe's, right? I mean, their stores based off of white label. Yep. Um, which is something that I really respect because we can still go into Trader Joe's with a smaller footprint store with significantly less products in there. And I can feel like I can still, well, I'm still very excited about the curation. Um, and ultimately they have less products to sell. So I would think inherently, like when I go into uh, like a Vons or a Pavilions that's like 50,000 square feet and I can't find something, Trader Joe's has found a way with grocery curation because of their insights, because they know their consumer, mm -hmm. they're constantly creating new products, they're acquiring new products, they're white labeling new products as the, as the trends shift, which is something that's, that's so crazy to me. And I really respect it. Trader Joe's does such an amazing job of being the biggest small guy on the block. Like yep. it's, it's so incredible because how many, I don't know, the thousands of Trader Joe's across the country, I get a community newsletter from Trader Joe's that probably came from corporate, but it is printed the same way I get a community newsletter from the church down the street to my inbox, uh, my physical inbox, and it says what's, what's good at the store, here's something we tried, but it's white label products, private label products that have hit all their stores. They do such an amazing job of making it feel like a small market across the street. None of the Trader Joe's are that large. Like the footprint is so small. Right. And I and, and they do such a good job without social media. With like none of that. There's no tr there's like up until recently there hasn't been an official Trader Joe's Instagram or Facebook, right. but yet millennials shop there. Like it makes sense. You go in there, the shopping carts make sense. It's not confusing to buy there's not a hundred kinds of beans. There's one bean. There's Trader Joe's wine. There's this. There's that. It's very easy and fun to shop. They have to be commended for how well they they their, curate that their process. Their product vetting process is actually done by real consumers testing the product. So they're not really? going to put something private label unless it goes through actual people eating it and voting on it. So there's been cases where um, every year they review the same exact product and they'll have five or six different vendors, maybe more, maybe less, and they say, try these XYZ items, everyone's gonna vote on the best one, and the one that wins out is the one that goes in the store, or stays in the store if that's what they're currently using. That's so cool, and I can imagine, because they buy out these smaller brands, because like, if you make chocolate-covered banana slices, like, <laughs> cool, like you're pitching Trader Joe's, know that your pitch is about 
being bought up, gobbled up, and then we're going to private label they, it. Yeah, they end up owning so much of the business. Why would you go somewhere else? Out, you which, know, somewhere else? which is from a business perspective, so amazing because they control their own costs, right? Mm -hmm. So they they spend more money towards the curation and understanding of the psychology of what the consumer wants. And then you have these other stores who are just like, well, we're going to stock everything that we can. So we have something that you hopefully like, but that the problem is there's so many products being developed that there is no store footprint that can have everything that we want unless you're tapped into that psychology. And that's why I'm saying, like, Stater Brothers, get your shit together. Because here, here's the problem with Stater Brothers. If I wanted to make spaghetti and meatballs with prego sauce and, and ground beef, I can do it. If I wanted to make a salad with iceberg lettuce, carrots, and ranch dressing, I can do it. But what I can't do is if I want lamb, if I want gochujang, if I want craft beer, if I want an Asian pear from Melissa's, I can't get it there. And because they're not adapting, it's like, okay, well then I will go to places that will adapt. I will go to my ethnic market like Northgate. I will go, I will go to Trader Joe's because I know that they're curating towards my tastes. Let me just hop in real quick because I do give a shout out to the new Stater brothers that are carrying Asian pears from Melissa's. <laughs> hey, 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 what is that, circa 2017? <laughs> I mean, dude, Trader Joe's doesn't even have anything. Like, their, their website's well-developed. There's no e-com take on Trader Joe's. And it doesn't look like there's going to be. And does that – seems like that's totally okay. There are enough Trader Joe's out there. Like – I I never once was like, damn, I wish I could order something from Trader Joe's and have it delivered. I guess it's possible through Instacart, but I'm I've not I I don't wait in a crazy line at Trader Joe's. There's always people in there and their staff is trained really well. And every like I think and there's something about their staff, I think what they do is they rotate. So like you're never just a cashier. You're a cashier and a stockist. So sure. you know the so it forces you to know the product, which Smart. isn't like I don't think that's the same thing at other like you're either a cashier no no when i was when i was a courtesy clerk at stater brothers you were a courtesy clerk you swept floors you grabbed carts and you bagged groceries yeah. and only when you get a raise into another position would you have the chance to stock a shelf or be a checker and when i was there you had to memorize all the produce codes to even take a test to become a checker and becoming a checker was a big deal because you're now unionized and you're getting a, a union wage. And so I think Trader Joe's does almost the opposite of that, right? Which everyone here is educated. Everyone here knows what's going on. Everyone here stocks. Everyone here checks out. And that's why you can stop almost anyone in a Trader Joe's store and they know exactly. Like the last time I had a conversation in a Trader Joe's, a woman asked like, hey, why don't you have these popsicles anymore? And the guy stocking them was like, oh, well, this product wasn't available in this country to the quality that we wanted. And we, sh we shifted to a different, like you knew the details of the sourcing of the product that went into your popsicle. Like that, I was like, I was amazed. What's that is because there isn't that many products in the store to begin with. Right, <laughs> and if you ask a Stater Boy employee like, why the Hagen Dazs is in stock? Like they don't have any fucking clue. Like, like bro, that's Hagen Dazs. Like that's not a bunch of weed. <laughs> and I ate all the Hagen Dazs. So can you get off my back? Go to the next aisle, please. It's it's crazy. Trader Joe's kind of reminds me of like the in and out of the grocery industry. Like make sure people know every 
position, feel passionate about the product, like, even as a simple product as grocery and a simple product is burgers, but like in and out I haven't worked at in and out but everyone I know who did work there is extremely passionate about the process, the product, knowing that there's growth in the company and you don't if if you're that in love with your product and you have that good a system in place, don't try to fix what's not broken almost right because like but be smart too you have to be thinking and thinking about the consumer and what are they asking for which is where social listening and data and stuff helps you with that so if you see that people are complaining about man i wish this didn't get delivered to me and you see that scale up to where you're getting a thousand requests a month look at those areas where are those customers based maybe we look at something where we align with uber eats or something to just kind of test the theory how does that work for us that's it dog Grocery changed a lot and very little in a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> that was tight. How you guys feel? Yeah, thanks, Nick. For sure, guys. Nick, be here. yo, go follow Meal Prep on Fleek, Meal though. Prep on <laughs> Fleek is tight. Meal Prep on Fleek is Nick's amazing. All the meal prepping that he was talking about earlier, he actually shows you how to do it and what to do and like all the products that you need to kind of make it easy. So... The few weeks that Jeff and I were meal prepping, it was off of Nick's account. Um, Should I just venue mo- Venmo you for that or what? <laughs> advertising, advertising at foodbees.com. Advertising at foodbees.com. Nick, you know where to go. <laughs> yeah, but make sure you follow at that. That's Nick Q is Nick's personal Instagram. Follow Melissa's Produce because it's not just your typical produce company. We've learned a lot here on the editorial side of Foodbees because Nick kind of brings us the products that like haven't yet hit market yet and we'll learn a lot like i learned about fruit that i've never heard of before we want to teach people and if you're out there and you want to find cherimoya in your local grocery store tell us where where you're at yeah see what we can do yeah so definitely follow at melissa's produce too um check that out guys this has been another episode of the catch-up i'm eli arut damn man you like gave all those shout outs to all of Nick's handles, and then you did your own handle on that. I didn't even do my uh, own handle. The people don't know. I'm not on social media this month, so oh, I didn't that's say true. Book of Eli. Well, I just said true. I'm Eli Arut. If you want to hit true. me up, email me, I'm Eli <laughs> Jeff's still on social. So, at Jeffrey Cutnick on everything. Um, you can DM Jeff. You can email me. And um, this has been another episode of The Catch-Up. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, yep. Of course, dude. Thank you for being here. Adios. And, yo, yo, leave a comment. Um, that I can't read, but leave a comment on uh, iTunes iTunes, or, or your podcast you player. Podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, every comment really does matter. Give us that five stars. Yeah, five stars. Okay, leave five stars and then say whatever the hell you want, even if it's bad. <laughs> you know what? If you guys want something cool, the best comment, and you guys can choose, we'll get you some free produce from Melissa's. Dang. Comment Shit. on this episode. Incentives. Let me know. Let Yo. Me know. I got you. To the four people listening to the end of this podcast, <laughs> yo, you have a high chance of winning this <laughs> produce right 25%, now. 25%. <laughs> no, that's dope. Hey, Ev, in the Instagram that we put up for this, we'll get some like food porn of, of Melissa's products, and we'll do a giveaway on the Instagram. But Dude. the only way to enter is you have to listen to the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's tight. All right. Sweet, guys. We got a giveaway now. <laughs> See you in one and a half weeks. <laughs>